Welcome back or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and in this episode, I am joined by co-hosts Brett Hornig and Leah Yingling to preview the 2022 UTMB. We talk about our favorite, most interesting storylines, and we analyze and make predictions for the men's and women's fields. Note this episode focuses exclusively on the women's and men's UTMB field. We do not discuss TDS, CCC, or OCC. This is not for lack of interest, but simply for a lack of time. We decided it would be best to go deep on one race instead of sparsely discuss all four. Finally, thanks to Gnarly Nutrition for sponsoring this episode. Use code SINGLETRACK20 at checkout on their website to get 20% off your next order. I swear by their drink mix for workouts and long runs. With that, let's get started. All right, this is the UTMB pre-race analysis and predictions episode. I'm joined by, uh, once again, Brett Hornig and Leah Yingling to cover all the topics. Uh, yeah, Leah, you're out in Cormier, Italy right now. So what's the vibe like? Oh, man, it is amazing out here. I think I'm officially sold on making Cormier my pre-UTMB hangout spot. Um, not a lot of hype, but definitely a lot of uh, good people hanging out here. Lots of good running to do. And yeah, definitely um, sold on this environment. It's just incredible. And uh, I think TDS starts tonight at midnight. So I'm sure we'll start seeing a little bit more hype here in the next couple hours. And knock on wood, you have a much coveted, solid internet connection too. We're making this happen. It's amazing. This is better than at home. I think I should stay here year round. <laughs> and Brett, how about you? What's up with you? I'm just I'm posted up in Ashland, Oregon. Couldn't make it out to Sham this year, unfortunately. Uh, it does look like it's a lot of fun. So I will be mm, covering everything and monitoring everything via just the World Wide Web. Just see what see what's going on out there you know this will be a big they've been utmb's really hyped up their live coverage this year i mean every single time i hop onto their site i get a notification they're like do you want us to let you know when we go live it's like maybe i should just click yes and they'll stop sending me that notification the uh, the first I'm, I'm based in chamonix uh france right now and our first world humanitarian crisis is a poverty of uh solid internet connection but i will say to anybody that comes out here pre-race or just wants to hang out in general i am recording from a co-working spot called the ski locker which is awesome and thank you ski locker because you're making this possible on my end but uh yeah it's monday and we're starting to see the who's who of our sport come into town and out on their shakeout jogs getting ready for the race and uh it, this is like what the the ultra running equivalent of the 10 or 12 days before christmas this is our time so um, maybe we first talk about what makes this race so special and important in our sport? Because obviously, you know, this is competing against other cool races right now, like run rabbit run in a couple of weeks, Leadville just happened. Uh, we were talking about speed goat a month ago. So, uh, maybe Brett, we'll start with you. What, uh, what in your mind makes UTMB such an important event in our sport? Yeah. You know, I was thinking about that the other day and I think, I think this is the 19th running of UTMB, which is, you know, that's a, this is a pretty established race now at this point. And, you know, I was just thinking a little bit back on the history because it started out as kind of a small race that not really that many people knew about, and it's just blown up into, you know, the most competitive hundred mile in the world. And, you know, the biggest question was like, how did they do that and why did it happen? And, you know, to me, it just seems like 
one of the biggest reasons is that it's such a cool loop in such an awesome spot. Like that's really, I think what so much of a great trail race boils down to is, you know, they can have a pretty big field, you know, like hard rock is an amazing loop. And if you could have 5,000 people out there, I bet it would be just as big and just as competitive as UTMB, but that's just not possible. Um, you know, it's an amazing loop. This is an amazing loop, you know, around Mont Blanc. And when you pair in, you know, 5G cell coverage all the way around, as well as amazing trails and the ability to host something that big, you know, is kind of the perfect storm for something that was just going to turn into the unofficial, you know, Super Bowl of 100 milers. I think that's a great point. And I can't think and maybe there are other places around the world, but this is in my top five places that combine all of the things that we love about the wilderness with all of the best elements of civilization. Like they just meet perfectly at the halfway point. And you, you know, you mentioned races like hard rock where you're sacrificing, um, you know, internet connection and stuff like that to run in a beautiful location, but UTMB matches all of that, which is, which is awesome. Uh, Leah, I, you know, we just talked about you being out in Cormier, you're not even racing this year. You're just out here to spectate and be a fan and, and to do this media coverage. Uh, when you think about UTMB, uh, what's special about it? What gets you excited about it? Man, the energy out here is just palpable. And I think I, my first trip out here was uh, in 2019 and I was racing that year at TDS, but 2022, it's been nice just to sit back and take a seat and watch everything that's happening around you and get to take it in, take in the course at a much slower pace and just be an observer. Um, I think what's really unique about this race is just how tough it is um, in different ways to different athletes from different countries. Um, and it's really exciting to see just like a culmination of the summer of trainings that athletes put in for this race. Um, and I know we talked about this in a Western States preview episode, but just how different the training can be for each of these athletes and to see how it all comes to fruition at UTMB. So somebody might have training with doing 50,000 foot weeks, but there might be other athletes who've had a big long season of racing and are kind of tempering their efforts a little bit more. Um, so I think that's really exciting seeing athletes from all over with so many different backgrounds and environments to train in. And UTMB doesn't often offer, um, great conditions. There's a lot of play out here. So I think this race really caters to who can manage in the mountains. And I'm really excited to see how that plays out this week. You just mentioned, it. I think the weather could be a super interesting factor on race day. And we'll talk about that in a second, but, uh, you also mentioned features. So let's talk about what makes this race so challenging and, um, you know, maybe the, maybe the skill sets that we see really being on display out there. So Brett, you want to take this? Yeah. I mean, it, the mountains, they're just built a little differently over there and it's hard to replicate that kind of course training and, you know, many spots in the U S I mean, there's only a few people who are lucky enough to be able to like train multiple times a week on mountains that could actually simulate the UTMB course. Um, yes. You know, I mean, I wish I, had more like personal experience being out there, but from, you know, everything I've heard, they're like the Europeans don't really believe in switchbacks, which is pretty cool sounding. And, you know, the trails are very established and, um, 
just steep. And, you know, I think another part that I've always thought was kind of interesting about this course is that the actual elevation of the course is not that high. So as opposed to something like hard rock or, you know, I guess, I mean, that's the very highest race, but there's not a lot of air up there on the hard rock course, which in a way preserves the legs a little bit. Um, something like UTMB, when you get all the oxygen you need, it's almost easier in a sense to blow your body up on the first few descents because you can hammer the climbs, you can hammer the descents. Um, and that's a little bit unique as well because most of the big mountains that you get to train in here in the States are also up at altitude. So you don't quite get the same exact speed element um, as this course. Leah, I'd love to get your take on this next question from the perspective of being an elite athlete, we have seen, I would guess a record number of American athletes go over well ahead of the race to live and train there to prepare on the course. Do you see that as being not just valuable, but maybe necessary in years to come? Like if you were to put all of your eggs in the UTMB or the CCC basket, let's say in 2023 or 2024, would you consider leaving Salt Lake city in June and, and heading over and basing yourself in Chamonix to train for two or three months? I would love to be able to do that. That'd be amazing. Um, you know, it's interesting because it was kind of comes back to that point that I mentioned of athletes approaching this from multiple different training approaches. Um, and it's really cool to see the number of American athletes, for example, out here training. And I do think it gives you an advantage because I think particularly something we lack in the U.S. is um, the long descents. Um, I think we've got, I mean, long climbs and long descents. Uh, we've got a lot, like at least in Salt Lake City, for example, we have, you know, three mile climbs, four mile climbs with significant vert, but we don't have these seven to 10 mile long descents like you might see in UTMB. And I think that is very challenging for somebody who's not used to that because that does such a number on your quads. Um, so, and being able to do that time and time again, like ascent and descent, just repeating after each other. Um, so I think that's a big value in coming out early and just the course familiarity. Um, I really don't think it's necessary. However, um, you know, I think we've seen, we've seen a lot of athletes do perfectly fine, not coming out. Um, and on the other side, I almost think I'm curious how much of a deficit you could put yourself in out here. Like, I mean, we'll go into talking about some athletes training, but like, I think some of it can be excessive in those weeks leading up because like these mountains are incredible. You want to see as much of the course as possible. You might only be out here for like your peak week of training and you want to do it all. Um, but how much is that really taking out of you on the other side of things? So I think it's great that there's a lot of athletes out here, but I wonder how much it might be doing more harm than good to some degree. I was actually, I was talking with Jim Walmsley as a part of our pre-race interview series, uh, just to echo a point you just made. You know, I asked him, like, what are the benefits of coming out here? Like, do you see it as like a prerequisite? And he was like, well, you know, all of the American women that have won this race in years past, they did it all training back mm -hmm. in the U.S., Nikki and, you know, Rory and Courtney, which I find fa fascinating. And so maybe cracking the code doesn't necessarily involve coming over here. But, yeah, as you mentioned, too, the lifestyle would be, be sweet. Amazing. <laughs> Brett, if, we, uh, if we're talking like X's and O's on the course for a second as – Fans are following the I Run Far Twitter feed. They're following the UTMB live coverage. Where should we expect 
the make or break points on the course to be like, uh, yeah. What do you think are the most pivotal places where the race is going to be won and lost? So, you know, I think part of that is a little bit weather dependent. Um, cause I forget the, I forget which aid station it is. It's after Cormier, but it's one of the highest points on the course and the aid station isn't inside. Um, you know, it's like one of their big pop-up tent sort of thing. So like they'll have some heat lamps, but if you're starting to blow up on that climb and you get to the top and you have to spend a good amount of time in that aid station, it's very hard to get warm. And that's been a pivotal point for a lot of people on the course, just simply going hypothermic, uh, cause it's cold, it's still dark, it's windy and you don't get to go inside like many of these other aid stations. So then, you know, and there's always that balance as well with the mandatory gear list of like, yes, it checks all the mandatory gear list boxes, but when I put it all on, when I actually need it, how well does it work? Um, you know, at the expense of saving weight, hoping that you don't actually need that stuff. That has been a spot, the spot that I've always watched for, hours on end is the live feed at Cormier. Um, that's always been, you know, there's, that's what about a hundred K into the race. And it's so, it's always been the spot of like, if someone doesn't look great coming into Cormier, chances are they're not going to do great. The second half of the race, you know, those who have been the most relaxed, chill like you know look the ones who look good going into Cormier they have a much higher percentage chance of having success getting around the loop you know like last year I just remember you know Francois and Jim coming into Cormier and Francois like you know going over to Jim's lunch bench and like taking one of his pickles and then just being like see you later so I'm like well that's the guy <laughs> um so yeah those are definitely some spots and yeah I think so much of it you know kind of, you know, Leah, I think you had mentioned it earlier too. It's just like, who can, like, who can keep it all together, um, doing all the right things, you know, in the first half of the race to set them up to race well in the second half. Cause if you're already surviving a hundred K in, you know, you're not going to be able to compete, uh, in the second half. No, I agree. And I think the weather this year, especially is going to play a part of that. Um, yeah, I think like you mentioned, I think Cormier is around, you have about 100K to go at that point. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a pretty crucial point though. You're just before halfway and I just ran that descent into Cormier yesterday. And for, you know, people always talk about the carpet that is the UTMB course. And I agree, like so much of it is smooth, cruisy, uh, pretty great ascending and descending. But the descent into Cormier kind of sucks. It's like the last mile and a half of that is all these really tight switchbacks, pretty technical, lots of roots, and this will all be in the dark for the athletes. So I think um, that also makes the runners who don't feel great feel even worse at this point. So like you mentioned, I think Cormier's got to be one of those really crucial spots that if you don't take the time to get yourself together, you're in for a long rest of your morning at that point because you yeah. still got some time in the dark. And yeah, it's not going to, it's definitely not smooth sailing from there by any means. For sure. I finally, I got my like elevation profile to get blown up enough to the point where I can actually, I know it's super tight. <laughs> um, Grand Col Ferret 
at about 110 kilometers. Um, I've heard from multiple people in this race that descent is one of the most phenomenal descents you'll ever do in your life. I just did that a few hours ago. <laughs> if you feel good. Um, it sounds like it's one of those descents. It's, it's very long. Mm-hmm. You know, it looks like you go from about 110 to 120, 120 something K. Um, if you have good legs, you can actually run it pretty fast. Uh, Leah, Leah, can you confirm that? Yeah. I mean, it is really nice. Oh, it's amazing. And I think we always see pictures up from live feed and live coverage up, up there before they start descending. And it's, there's a cross up there, so it's pretty identifiable. Um, and I just remember pictures in most years, it gets, that gets weather, a lot of weather up there. And that's where mm-hmm. you really see people like needing to have their cold weather gear on and whatnot. Um, but you do have such a runnable descent after that. Um, so if you have the legs and you feel good on that, you can really cruise. Um, but however, yeah, the wind up there, just like I was just up there this afternoon and it was beautiful sunny day and the wind was whipping. So I can't even begin to imagine the type of conditions that the runners are exposed to on a bad weather year, which is what we're expecting this year. So I think anybody that's not dressed in all their uh, warm weather gear at that point might pay the price on that descent and not be able to move quite as swiftly as they could otherwise. One thing I'll add, and I'll be curious to get your opinions on this as well. I do think because the men's field is the deepest it's ever been, and we'll talk about that in a second as well, but I think because the men's field is so deep, it's going to be absolute chaos at the front, and they're going to be pushing each other so hard that I think the pivotal point is going to be extremely early in the race. It could be right around that 50K mark, but it could be you know as early as Cormier, as Brett was talking about earlier. Um, I personally think because – so I think the, the women's – uh, race, the pivotal point could be later in the race, but I, I think we could see a lot of blowups on the men's side, super, super early. So I'm curious to see what you guys think there as well. Yeah. I mean, what's always fascinated me most about the start of UTMB and I've, I've talked to uh, David Laney about this is it's flat and pretty open for the first seven K before it starts to climb. Why are we going out at six minute pace? It's not like you're worried about a bottleneck because it, it gets spread out. You know, it's like five miles to the, you know, to the first climb. It's even everyone going 10 minute pace, like it's going to spread out, but he's like, it's just amazing how it's just a massive cross country race at the start and people are hammering people fall. Like one year, Alex Nichols got tripped up and jacked up his hip at the start just because everyone's sprinting mm-hmm. um yeah, yeah that, that always just fascinated me and I pulled up splits from 2017 because I remember that being like such a hot start for that year and I think they averaged about 615 to 620 pace for those first four miles with like mile one yeah, Jim with took the it out. stuff yes <laughs> so that is I think like and then you look at miles later in the race and obviously they're not running anywhere like close to that effort so I think just keeping that effort in check is so important, especially um, yeah, for as long as it is and for yeah, various weather conditions we'll be experiencing. Let's talk about weather and logistics, starting with the weather. The last I heard, and I haven't checked it in like eight to 10 hours, but and again, we're also five days out. This is, we're, we're recording this on Monday, but it's, it's looking like it could, there could be a lot of rain. Yeah, they're expecting quite a bit. If you look at the forecast for um, 
Friday and Saturday, it's just 80, 90% chance of rain, thunderstorms in the forecast. Um, not sure what the most recent temperatures are, but I can't imagine it's warm. <laughs> um, I know in Cormier, we've been blessed with some just absolutely incredible weather all week long with highs in the 70s. Um, yeah, so it looks like Friday, Saturday, we'll be seeing highs of around 65 or so here in Cormier, um, lows of 46 down here. So imagine that's going to be below freezing up on the high passes with um, wind and definitely considerable rain. So I think that means snow. I think it could be up high. Yeah. Do you think there is any chance of last minute course alterations? Like, because that has been done in the years past. Yeah. Yeah. So I was looking up like different course alterations. Um, So in 2010, they canceled the race like halfway through. In 2017, um, they shortened, they had uh, the runners not go to some of the high points. um, And that shortened the course by about 5K and maybe a few thousand feet of climbing. Um, So I think we could see something similar to 2017 if the race, the weather stays as predicted. I think there was another year too where they shortened it, but I'd say I wouldn't be surprised if it was a 2017 similar course. Yeah. This, is, this is kind of a dumb question. I'll throw it out to both of you, but we always talk about being heat trained for races. Is it, is it a dumb thing to think about being cold trained like for these types of conditions? I mean, I think that's, I think that's a thing. Yeah. Uh, I think so. Like I don't necessarily think cold trained, but I think being able to control the controllables in the weather um, to the point where, you know, Like there's no such thing as bad weather. It's only bad gear. So I think there's a lot of people who might not experience bad mountain weather often. Um, And that's part of the reason I think some of the Europeans are at an advantage um, who do train out here regularly. They might be in these conditions more often than not. Um, So I think if you're used to wearing the gear and knowing when to put it on and almost like anticipating when it's going to be bad and when you need to, you know, have your gloves on so you can open your gels and eat and drink later. I think mm-hmm. there might be some people who are more used to dealing with those conditions. So I don't necessarily think cold trained necessarily, but just being prepared and um, forward, forward thinking. Yeah, I totally agree with that. That was kind of where my thoughts were going to. It was like, like just more training exposure to it. And if you, the less you have to think about you know, going up this mountain, oh, it's getting cold, throw on the long sleeve, throw on the jacket. If you have to think about it, because, you know, especially, you know, 15, 18 hours into a race, if you start to get cold, and the way that you get not cold is by running harder, Mm -hmm. good luck. You know, Mm -hmm. your kit needs to be dialed, which is why someone like Francois has been so consistent at mountainous hundred miles if you look at pictures of him racing hundred miles 10 years ago his kit is the same Mm -hmm. he is so dialed in regards to his layers and what he wears that it's it's second nature to him and that sort of experience is going to be so crucial to you know i think the race this year how about the logistical issues that are starting to supposedly crop up like i think leah you mentioned seeing a tweet from sage canada about crew access being unusually limited this year so can you go into detail about that 
Yeah, so this year um, there's going to be several uh, shuttle-only aid stations. Um, so those include Lake Contamine and Champaylock. Um, and so the only way you can access these aid stations are by having a UTMB bus pass um, that have now been sold out for two weeks. Um, so I know when this came on my radar, uh, I went to look for UTMB bus pass and you were not able to as of, yeah, probably about a week and a half ago now. Um, and so what's the alternative if you can't take a shuttle to crew your runner at one of these aid stations? Um, cause I do believe there's also road closures at these aid stations. So I don't know if it's oversight by the UTMB committees with not providing enough bus passes, um, what the alternative is. I know I'm in a situation where I'm helping crew runner at Champe Lock, so I need to troubleshoot that between now and Friday. But yeah, it poses a lot of challenges and I don't think it's something that was entirely thought through or like given enough attention and resources um, because I think there's gonna be a lot of crews in a similar situation. I would say, yeah, that that would be a little nerve wracking as both the crew and a runner of like, all right, runner, I'll see you at Champagne Lock, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if if we're not there, don't worry about us. Right. You know, like that's that's the the standard that always gets said. But like as a runner, even if you know, oh, they didn't make it because of the shuttle, then you you're always going to start thinking, well, what if it wasn't the shuttle? Like, what if they're actually lost? It's like right. That just that just gets in your head so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I guess you got phones. Everyone's got a phone on them. This is a good year to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's. I'm really curious if. Yeah, and those are crucial. Are actually going to get stranded. They're yeah. crucial aid stations. So Lake Contamine is pretty much the first big one, about 20 miles in, 31k. Um, so that's the first mm-hmm. big energy spot you could see your crew if they're not there. What a bummer. You can't yeah. see them till Cormier, which is halfway through the race, you know, right. so situations like that. Yeah. Um, Champagne Lock is with like 50K to go. Um, so that's that last final one. And OK, if you have legs with 30 miles to go, you're going. But OK, you don't see your crew at that one last spot and you're relying on a drop bag and you're not expecting that you're disheveled. Um, yeah. So I think there's going to be some definite uh, challenges with yeah those issues. So so maybe those who have a. Uh drop bag experience might be uh, better prepared potentially for a race like this. Well, is what I'm curious about is the penalty for violating this, uh, like a DNF for the runner, or is it light and maybe we'll see a bunch of civil disobedience and all of these crew members just like braving uh, the elements and getting out there and making it happen no matter what? I mean, how would you even get out there though? I know, that's what I'm If curious. the roads are actually closed mm-hmm. to cars like rental cars and non-residential cars. Like, I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe you're just going to get like a hefty uh, traffic ticket. Mm-hmm. You're going to pay a couple hundred euros to accrue at each aid station. Well, in summary, we're four days out from UTMB. The weather uh, looks crazy. It looks like there could <laughs> potentially be some course changes. It looks like cruise, it'll be a nightmare for cruise. So... Uh, in addition to all the competition, get your popcorn ready from like a logistical and environmental standpoint. Yeah, all we can only hope for is that the live stream just stays going the whole time because I can't wait to watch all this. Oh, I know. <laughs> well, let's get into uh, the meat of the episode, which is the storylines, the analysis, the predictions. And I think we should start with the women's field. Um, 
Leah, do you want to talk about your favorite storylines in this race before we get into your top five and analysis? Yeah, yeah. So um, I think going into this, we saw the course record fall last year with Courtney DeWalter having just an outstanding performance, placing seventh overall um, and running 22 hours and 30 minutes, which is just an impe- impeccable performance. And I mean, I would love to see the ladies chase after that this year, but I think that's going to be a definite hard one to touch, especially, you know, given all the variables that we've discussed, but definitely a fun time to chase after. Um, this year we'll see four returning in the top 10 on the lady side. Um, so our top returner is Mimi Korka. Um, we'll see Katie Scheid. We also have Emily Hoggood. And my last returner Lucy. is Lucy Jamson. Um, so she was um, in the top 10 as well. So we see four of the top 10 returning. Um, and I think that really like opens it up. I think we'll get to talking about the men where we have a few more top returners. But I, th- I really do think this is anyone's uh, ball game out there. Like we've got a lot of a lot of um, various talent, a lot of people who have been racing very specifically and training very specifically for UTMB this year. So um, I think I, re- I really like seeing Ragna DeBots um, and her running and racing over the last couple of years. Um, she's a mom of a, of a few children and I really love seeing the energy that she brings every time she finishes and she has her children joining her in the final stretch. Um, yeah. And I think she's 40, maybe 40 plus these days and just gets better and better with every race. Um, she had a pretty outstanding battle with Abby Hall at Trans Grand Canaria this year. And I really like in my, my, my in my eyes, she's, she's my favorite to win this race. Cause I think she's shown that she can really duke it out in the mountains, race smart, um, and just get it done and that she's skilled at a variety of different distances. She can run. Uh, we saw her top finish at one of her top finishes at Western States last year. Um, so she's got some speed. And I think like if you pace the UTMB correctly and you can move on some of the cruisy terrain, like you'll be in a good place. And I think she's shown that she can do that um, in many races. So I think she's always a fun one to follow. And I think also like guessing who the top American will be is going to be a, a fun guessing game um, as the race plays out. Well, going back to something you said earlier, uh, do we have you on record saying that you don't imagine someone like Courtney DeWalter finishing in the overall top 10 this year on the women's side? I think we could see not as high as Courtney finish in the top 10. I think we yeah. could see a 10th to 15th place from the women, uh, but probably not top 10, maybe, maybe 10th place is my guess. Assuming we have a clean course, what do you think the, what roughly do you think the winning time will be? I think 23.0 something. Yeah. So probably about 30 minutes behind what Courtney ran last year, I think will win it. Brett, any other themes on this side that uh, intrigue you? Yeah. I mean, so Ragna Devots and Audrey Tenge, both declined to run Western States this year in favor of focusing on UTMB. I thought that was interesting and smart because I think Audrey last year ran Western States, but then DNF'd at UTMB and Mm -hmm. clearly now is being like, even had a, you know, a spot at Western States this year being like, nope, we're putting the focus on UTMB. Um, Same with Ragna. I just think that's, that's cool. That means they're, they they care a lot about this race. Mm -hmm. So that that definitely like 
ups them in my rankings just out of taking this race seriously. I mean, I think everyone takes this race seriously, but to decline a spot of Western States in favor of UTMB, that's going above and beyond for, you know, the training and for the folks on this year, because they're so, so different races. I mean, we do have a handful of people who are doing the Western States UTMB double this year. Mm -hmm. Um, some of which you probably have a chance of doing pretty well, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it'll be interesting to see where that overlap is. I was just going to add, um, yeah, the, on the women's side for the UTMB Western States double, it's uh, Marianne Hogan and Emily Hoggood. And we saw a great double from Emily Hoggood last year, getting seventh at Western States, then 10th at, U, I think a 10th at UTMB. Um, and this mm -hmm. year she had a fifth place performance at Western States, albeit she was really in the running um, for the top few positions for early on, which who's to say how much that took out of her this year compared to her effort last year. Um, but I think both her and Marianne Hogan's races are going to be very, very fun ones to follow um, because I do think both of those two can do a top 10 Western States and UTMB double. Totally. I do love seeing this trend of athletes just picking a race and then excluding everything else in the surrounding months. I mean, you, did it with Western States, uh, you know, Hart Courtney did it with Hard Rock. We're seeing these athletes do it with UTMB. I think it's so cool. And uh, I, I do like this move, at least by some elites, to move away from like that. I'm going to race seven to eight times a year, and everything's going to kind of be like an A minus B plus race to like two or three times a year. And like there's really like two A races like the, like the marathon circuit does. So just wanted to say that. Yeah, I, I like to see that too. I think somebody who um, I'm really excited to see have this play out is Katie Scheid. Um, we've seen her progression over the last couple of years at UTMB improving each year and just having phenomenal and very, very solid races. Um, and I think this year she's been building really nicely with her most recent 105K that she just ran in July. Um, and she's been putting in great training. She lives out here and knows these mountains well. So I think, for example, the way she catered her season, I think will play out in her favor. Yeah. I think this ladies race is going to be close. I, I just, I don't have a standout, like this person's going to win. They're going to win by an hour. I just don't see that this year, which I think is really exciting. You know, we could, I think we could potentially not see the overall winner of the race, you know, in the lead for the last time until 10, 20 K to go. What do you think the range of the top 10 is going to be in terms of like, you know, the first place finisher finishing in like 23 hours and 10th place finishing in like 28 hours. Do you think it's going to be like a five hour range? Like, what do you think the range is going to be there? Oh, well, I'm not super well versed on the top 10 range. Yeah. That's a good question. I was thinking top five. Because I think it was pretty um, spread out last year. I, I want to say it was like five or six hours. Yeah, it was. It she did. Yeah, I, it was pretty uh, substantial last year. I thought like very significant time difference, especially when you took Courtney into consideration. Um, I think if you took Courtney out of consideration and we're looking at second place through 10th place, it was a little bit um, right, less of a right. gap. But it was mm. pretty substantial. Like I think Emily Hoggood was, yeah, several hours. Um, back yeah. from, you know, even Camelia Bruas in second, um, and Emily got 10th. Since, since we mostly have an American audience here, 
Um, my first question is how many Americans do you think we can expect to see in the female top 10 and uh, in general, who are our female Americans to, uh, to keep tabs on during the race? Um, so our main American women contenders uh, for the top 10 are, I'll just list them and then I'll say where I kind of think they'll play out. We've got Katie Scheid, uh, Caitlin Gerben, uh, Sabrina Stanley, Hillary Allen, Brittany Peterson. I think those are kind of the top five from um, the U.S. contingent. I also think Emily Caldwell. Um, I think she lives in Boulder. She's, I think she's kind of a dark horse on the American women's side and nobody's really been talking too much about her, but she's very solid as well. Um, What's her I background? Think we, um, she got, I believe, a second place at Run Rabbit last year. Um, and I know she's been on like the Boulder FKT contingent, does a lot of that stuff, stays pretty low key. Um, but yeah, I think she's she's got some pretty solid results. And I think um, if yes. she runs a smart race and she hasn't been racing too much this season, I think we could expect a great result out of her. Um, but yeah, on the, I think we could expect to see three, three American women in the top 10. Um, I think Katie Scheid will be, the top performing American woman. I think her results over the last couple of years have shown that progression. And I think just the way she's catering her season um, shows that she can do that. I think um, Sabrina Stanley and Caitlin Gerben, we might see them in those five to 10 spots. The one thing that interests me about Katie Shy, I mean, a lot of things do, but in this particular case, she did something similar to what Zach Miller did. And I think she ran the Valderan. 100k about six weeks ago so i'm really curious to know and i think she treated it like a training race but i'll be very curious to know um if that amplifies her her racing ability uh at utmb because i think she she talked something about it on instagram of like uh you know just doing a little bit of experimenting and typically having cleared the deck a little bit more in the lead up mm -hmm. but um maybe this gives her like a new level of power and just she's someone that benefits from that type of stuff yeah i mean she's I mean, one thing that I guess that can all be agreed upon for Katie is she's a very consistent racer. Um, so maybe, and while I think that can generally be viewed as a good thing from a runner's point of view, I could see how that could also be somewhat frustrating. Not that I'm running consistently good performances, but like, where's that one that gets me another level up, you know, to where I'm sure she thinks she should be at. And maybe changing up the racing, uh, you know, season leading up to this race. Maybe this is the change that's needed to jump out of that, you know, sixth through tenth kind of consistent placing. Because maybe, you know, risk winning the race at the expense of, you know, maybe being outside of the top ten. Maybe where Katie's at in her career, it's worth it to start taking that kind of. I don't know if I want to say it's a gamble, but, you know, just like slight change in training tactics. Leah uh, or Brett, are there any UTMB rookies out there in the women's field that interest you in particular that could uh, could make a splash in their first time at this race? This is Marianne Hogan's first yes. UTMB, yes. right? Yes, yep. I'm, I'm excited to see what Marianne does because she's kind of proven to have a lot of range in regards to being really good at running like big mountains as well as running pretty fast and 
she seems to be, you know, she's had some injury struggles in the past, but kind of one of those runners that when they're on, they're on. And I feel like right now, Marianne is on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can't agree with that more. I think I am so excited to see how this race plays out for her. I mean, she took second to Courtney at Ultratown Cape Town last year, um, right towards the end of the year, which was a very solid result from her. I think maybe about an hour or less behind Courtney. Um, and then put in a really solid block for Western States this year and, you know, has had ups and downs with injuries over the last couple of years. But her training between Western States and now has just been wild. Um, I know she logged. Pretty big. Uh, oh, yeah. 158 mile week with 52,000 feet of climbing. Um, so for anybody that has recovered from Western States and knows how one's body may feel like that is a giant effort between the two. So I think that'll be the biggest question mark for me is, you know, Marianne went to the well at Western States. Um, and then she's been putting in really, really big blocks of training and been training on the course a bunch too. She's been out here for weeks. Um, so I'm curious to see how she channels all that strength into her race at Western State. I mean, at uh, UTMB, because I, I know she tapers really hard too. So I think if she can relax really well this week, um, I'm excited to see what she can do. She's very gritty. Agree. I'll add one just, just to be a little different. Sabrina Stanley is my UTMB rookie. That was my second. Yeah. That was my second rookie. Yeah. I, uh, you know, for some historical context, I remember I was out here in Chamonix last year and there was this whole debate. Was she going to race UTMB after winning hard rock last year? And I think she was like right up to the last minute, like she was training on the course. She was weighing her options. And then with like three days pre-race, she's like, you know, I'm just not ready. I'm not, I'm not well rested. I'm not recovered from hard rock. Mm -hmm. I'm going to sit this one out, but I've done all this research on the course. And, and then she just doubled down this summer. Like she's, I mean, she might, you might as well call her a veteran because she's touched every single step of the course in the last two to three months. Um, she just from our pre-race interview, she's somebody that, uh, like does UTMB stuff to the exclusion of everything else. Like I think all she did was run the UTMB course this summer, like multiple times. So, um, she might already have her PhD in UTMB without <laughs> having even run the race before. Uh, so she would be my rookie, but I, so, and, and she just has a level of excitement because she's been extremely public about what she's here for, what she thinks she can do and, um, how she's not going to rest until she gets it. And, uh, I think that that's a, that's a fun, fun mindset as a fan of the sport to, to follow. So, uh, Leah, you want to do your top five, your free trail top five? Yeah. Okay. Let's see here. We got, I've got Ragna DeBots as my number one. Um, she's had just a, such a solid last couple of years. I got Mimi Karka in second, Katie Scheid for number three, Marianne Hogan for four, and Audrey Tangay for fifth. All right. That's a, you, mean, that's a pretty solid top five. Um, so I'm, I'm going with, the other person who declined to start Western States this year to win. I'm going Audrey Tange to win UTMB this year. Um, Two-time TDS champ, second to Courtney at this year's Madeira Island Ultra Trail. Um, putting kind of all the eggs in the UTMB basket this year. Um, yeah, she's she's solid. And I think it, we pulled that out. I've uh, got Mimi Kotka for second, you know, after – Third last year, champion at Lavaredo this year, I believe. Um, 
gotten in a ton of time on the course. I think she does live over in Chamonix. Mm -hmm. So, uh, very familiar. And then Ragna DeBots, I have rounding out the podium, which, yeah, I just, I feel like they're, you know, I'm, I'm maybe perhaps overly optimistic, but I, th I think all three of them are going to be within 30 minutes of each other at the finish. I, I agree. Uh, I, I think, you can I think, that. I think it's just going to be close. Like, I just don't really see anyone like just running off the front and just doing that all day. I could see, you know, maybe they're not necessarily running together as a group, but you know, coming in and out of aid stations, very similar times, um, which is going to be really exciting. I've got, Marianne Hogan for fourth and Emily Hoggett for fifth. I think our Western States UTMB doublers are, I think they're going to run well. I mean, they're, they're been consistent, especially this year as well as last. Um, then I guess bonus sixth, I've got Katie Scheid as the top American. All right. My top five, uh, number one, Mimi Kotka, number two, Azara Garcia, Apologies in advance, by the way, if I'm getting any of these pronunciations wrong. Uh, number three, Katie Scheid. I think this is her, I'll call it a breakthrough year, even though she's top 10 twice at this race already. So I got her in my podium. Marianne Hogan in fourth. I'm also on that Marianne Hogan fan club backslash train. And then I got Sabrina Stanley at fifth. So she has tasted greatness this year, but she will be back in 2023 seeking that podium, seeking that win, seeking... Um, whatever her vision of the course record is. Um, so yeah, you got two Americans in the top five. I got three North Americans in the top five. Yeah. Nice. Three North Americans. Um, okay. We all so got Marianne also, for number four. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And I, I do know that the fantasy free trail is 10 deep, but just for the sake of time, we went five. Um, but maybe we can just do a little round table here. Are there any other people that, uh, we should just be on the lookout for in the top 10. I'll, I'll go first. Mine is Jasmine Paris. I think she's super interesting. She, for context, she Stole was the name. first woman Stole in my name. many years. <laughs> Stole my name. I'm sorry. Well, she did a fun run at the Barclay this year, which was incredible. And then she's yeah. just, she's been in the top 10 at UTMB before. She's won the spine race. Uh, she's great. I mean, I think mm -hmm. her forte is these gutsy, long, super mountainous, super adversarial, ultra races so um yeah i don't know where that lands her this year i actually think i mean she, she could be contending for that top five in my opinion because if there's yeah. a year to do it it's this year for her so she's mine question mark is is utmb too fast of a race like is is utmb not hard enough for jasmine paris it's a great question yeah uh, um Zhao zhang from china mm. is my like other runner to look out for just because of her improvements the last two years, like pretty big jumps um, with no signs of really plateauing out at all. I think it was, you know, 22nd or 23rd during her first UTMB and then right outside the top 10 last year. But then all the races in between have been pretty dominant and, you know, really good performances. So I think that's another person to look out for. I yeah, I think one we haven't really discussed yet, but we could see a solid result from is Manon Bohard. Um, she was the TDS champ from last year, and I believe she ran around 23 hours and change. And TDS is just such a hard course. Um, so I think 
comparing that to UTMB, it'll be probably seem easy to her. Um, so I think I'm excited to see how she does. And I think she might surprise a lot of people as well. Agreed. Let's, uh, let's round out this episode with the men's field analysis. Brett, let's start with you. What are your, what are the most interesting storylines in the men's field in your opinion? I mean, man, there's a lot. The, the men's field is very interesting. You know, there's been a lot of talks of like, is this as deep or deeper than the 2017 year? And I think it's very close and, you know, it might be just as deep as competitive, but I think, you know, for a lot of different reasons, um, you know, the stories are not the same as they were five years ago. Um, but you know, the, the most interesting one to me is like, where, where is Killian Jornet at right now in terms of freshness? Um, that hard, I mean, hard rock this year was so exciting to, to watch and, you know, follow along in the Twitter sphere. He just, you know, fifth at Sierra's and all, a lot of people are like, Oh, see Killian's still <laughs> tired. He didn't win Sierra's and all, but like he started the race. You start Sierra's and all a couple of weeks after hard rock, you're, you're feeling pretty good. Mm-hmm. And to get fifth in a time that was actually faster than his 2021 win. Um, and it really should be fourth at Sierra's and all. I mean, if you saw that finish, he was, kind of messing around, you know, playing it up to the fans and then got out kicked, got <laughs> leaned. But, you know, I, I just, I want to know, I'm like, yeah, what, where's Killian at right now? Um, you know, and then, and then, you know, of course, one of the other big stories is, you know, Jim Walmsley, this is Jim's first time training for UTMB, not also having run Western States. Um, and it, it really feels to me that he's getting pretty like, Euro dialed, um, you know, winning Madeira and ultra trail Cape town and kind of just adopting the, you know, the European lifestyle a little bit. I think, I think he's doing all the right things, um, to set up for something potentially pretty special this year. Um, and then we have a couple other people like Tom Evans and Pau Capel have both had knee surgery in the last one to two years, both of which I think were pretty major operations and both of which seem to have, uh, returned to form pretty well. You know, that, that always makes for an inspiring comeback story, but also just the big question mark of like, is the body ready to handle not only this giant loop, but this giant loop at race effort? Um, well, I mean, and then there's, there's a huge American male contingent mm-hmm. this year. Um, some of which are new, some of which have had success quite a few years ago now at this point. And I, yeah, there's just so many question marks of like, how are these people going to do? And the race just needs to start already. How about you, Leah? Any storylines that particularly interest you that you want to elaborate on there? This men's race is just so deep. I think we all were commenting on just like the depth of the list and the number of uh, runners that we went through. Um, I agree with Brett though. I think Killian's freshness is something I'm really curious about and something that Francois uh, Hard Rock UTMB double shows that can be done. And I think if any runners are going to do it and do it well, 
it's Francois and Killian. So I have no doubt that he will show up. And especially if there's any adverse conditions, I think he thrives and does well um, in the state. Yeah. And I don't think Sierra's and all is, um, yeah, really anything to bat an eye at. I think, um, I think we'll see him in great form and it's hard to ever count against him when he's in a race this long and especially one like UTMB. Um, I think, yeah, Jim Walmsley is going to be a really exciting one to follow. I think, what was his biggest week that I saw? 164 miles with 64,000 feet of climbing. I can't even fathom. <laughs> oh, man. so much so, time. So much time. So I think even like with taper weeks considered, he's been averaging 24 hours for the last four weeks of training um, with just tons, like 40,000 feet of vert every week plus. Uh, so... Mm. I think he has some climbing legs under him. I think always the question with Jim is how much is too much and are, is he riding the line and like, just like that perfect balance. Mm. Um, so I think if the race starts getting tough, weather starts getting really tough, maybe we might see some of those big weeks catch up to him. Um, that's something I think we've seen in the past with him at UTMB. And I think his highest finish here is fifth place along with a few DNFs. So I'm just excited. It's going to be, I think, a great race. I think him and Killian will run together for a lot of this race. And I think, you know, as Jim does, he'll probably put some moves on Killian and see if he matches them. And then, you know, like we saw Killian letting Dakota go during Hard Rock this year, we're going to probably see something similar between him and Jim here, is my guess. Um, I'm I'm just so excited for that that battle. I 100% agree with that. Like I've been playing through the Kim Killian Jim battle in my head and yeah, I think I think at 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 a point on this course by at least Jim if not more people, they will drop Killian on a climb and it won't be because Killian couldn't climb with them, it's that he chose not to. 100%. Because I do believe I do believe you win this race by being a good descender, not a good climber. Yes. I'll add two points. Uh, The first, I think that this is by far the most competitive men's UTMB race ever. I think it blows 2017 out of the water. I think that we should treat the top 10 as if it's a podium because there's like 75 men. I think that could potentially be there. It's that deep. Um, I think that my interesting storyline is, is Tom Evans um, maybe for slightly non-obvious reasons, I think he really set the bar about four or five years ago about what it means to be like an all-in pro. He just went to all these extra lengths to work with like physios and sports psychologists and going to all these training camps. Like he was in Ethiopia for a bit training with like people of like Kipchoge's cal- caliber. So, and then he's also been incredibly open about his recovery process and what it takes to, to get back to being at like the elite level of the sport. So I'm super excited to see what he can put together, having seemingly followed a textbook way to do it right. And I think that it might lag for a little bit, but I think most pro athletes are going to follow his playbook in years to come in terms of like what it takes to be competitive. So, uh, excited for his race in that regard. Um, yeah, I here. I agree. I Go ahead. Tom Evans is will be an interesting one for me. I think this will definitely be the longest he's ever been on his 
feet for a racing distance. I think mm-hmm. um, he's just so interesting because I'm curious if he knows anything other than fast. Um, like, you know, he's done well, like Sonoma Western States and like, he's a fast guy. Mm-hmm. I know he races in the mountains and does well in the mountains, but I'm wondering over the long haul of a race like UTMB, um, will that catch up to him? I saw he ran Trans Grand Canaria, the short race that I did this past spring and just blew it out of the water. But that's five hours and it's very mountainous. The descending is pretty wild in that race and technical. And I mean, he probably flew over that stuff. So I feel confident that his body will hold up. I'm just curious if he'll strike a good balance between his speed and, you know, pacing that is required during UTMB. Totally. Great point. Yeah, UTMB is a patient race, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, Brett, you want to give us your free trail top five? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, as as with my stellar history of free trail fantasy performances, this is gonna be the one. I'm gonna take you people <laughs> sure, down. Sure. Sure. <laughs> I'm gonna win those. I'm gonna win those speed lands, and. <laughs> You know, hopefully anyone, if any of these people are listening, they're just like, oh, damn it, Brett picked me up there. Now I'm going to blow up. So I'm really hoping that I'm not turning into the free trail fantasy curse. But <laughs> Killian, Killian Jornet, he's going to win. He's going to get the Hard Rock UTMB double. And I think he's going, I don't think he's really, I think he's the fittest person there or one of the fittest. I don't think he'll be the freshest, but I think tactically he's going to figure out a way to win. You know, I bet, I think he's going to bait, you know, like Jim, Pau Capel, Zach Miller. I could totally see, you know, 180 KN. Killian's going to fake getting dropped on a climb. Those guys are going to start hammering and then Killian will descend just fast enough where he knows he'll be able to catch them, but he's not going to. He's just going to let them burn themselves out. And then Killian will strike when the time is right in the either last descent or second to last descent to win it in just like classic, just Killian descending fashion. Um, that's not to say, though, that some of those other people that I mentioned are going to colossally blow up. I do have Jim Walmsley getting second, which... Uh, Second place at UTMB to Killian Jornet is no disappointment. Um, Pau Capel, I've got him to round out the podium on third. I listened to his podcast with Dylan Bowman, and it was fascinating. If there, if anyone needs something to listen to, go listen to that one. Um, just the roller coaster that he's been through since his UTMB win in 2019, as well as just his win at 2019, um, you know, the, the, the like clickbait thing. He was on the phone for most of the race in 2019. So you're going to have to go listen to that story. Um, fourth place, uh, maybe a name that hasn't been brought up a ton is um, Sebastian Krogvig. He was the TDS champ last year and now moving up to UTMB. And, um, there's always been in the top five at UTMB, like one or two people who just like throw themselves into it and have a great race. And I think Sebastian is that this year. And then my fifth overall, I have Zach Miller. Um, I really like 
just where Zach is at in his running and his career and uh, kind of, you know, he had a pretty big foot injury and has ramped things up in a surprisingly like smart way. You know, he's definitely still running a ton. His training block is all on Strava now and it's massive, but it's also what might be a lot easier running than what Zach has done in the past. Um, so I think that's one of the biggest changes and that's going to lead to a more consistent, you know, UTMB race. How about you, Leah? What's your top five? Okay. So I've got Killian as number one with Jim, not too far behind in second. Um, yeah, I think Killian's just gonna do what Killian does and Jim's gonna be along for the ride. Um, so third, I have Aurelian Denon Palaz. Um, so he was second at UTMB last year to Francois and was only 13 minutes back from him. Um, I think he ran a really patient race and we were supposed to see him line up for hard rock this year, but I think he recently became a dad. So I'm excited Uh to see him put some of that dad energy into a nice UTMB finish again. And I think he's capable of another very solid finish. Um, I'm not sure if he shares everything on Strava, but if he does, he does a nice combo of biking and running. Um, So I'm not sure what type of form he'll be in, but I think if he was in anything close to his UTMB shape from last year, we should definitely expect a top five race out of him. Um, In fourth, I have Scotty Hawker. Um, So Scotty Hawker has some pretty solid results at the UTMB races. And um, I I know David Roach is a big Scotty Hawker fan as I think he coaches him, but when David Roach hypes somebody up, I know he's probably um, speaking from experience and knowing what type of training he's been putting in. So Scotty Hawker got third at UTMB in 2019 and was second at CCC last year, Um, has been, I think, racing locally um, in New Zealand this year. So I think he's in good form and I think he's pretty solid and we can expect a top five finish from him. So I've got him in fourth and then I got Pal Capel in fifth. I don't think he's going to be quite in the 2019 Pal Capel form that we saw. Um, but I do think he's going to go off of his splits from that year, but likely fall off and probably hang on for a fifth place finish. Um, yeah, I'd love to talk about some of our American dark horses. And after we discuss these, cause I think the American tingent's pretty deep this year and there's some interesting guys going at it course of course yeah i'll give you my top five quickly and then we'll go do that uh i've got walmsley in first and i've got killing in second with the win, huh? <laughs> and to set the stage and to set the stage we all remember back in 2017 that iconic sprint through the streets for fifth place to just barely fend off pal capel and i think we're mm. going to see something similar between killing and jim with about three miles to go they're going to be tied at la floria which by the way great crepes if you're going to be in the area <laughs> this week go make the hike mm. up to la floria get a cafe long and uh, get some crepes. But yeah, they're going to be tied at La Floria. They're going to be sprinting that last descent. They're going to be through the streets. It's going wild. There's going to be people, yeah. crowds trying to swarm them. And Walmsley is going to be pushing him away. Kim's going to be pushing him away. And uh, ultimately, Walmsley uh, edges him out uh, with like maybe 200, 300 meters to go. So absolutely dramatic, <laughs> historic one to, oh, you I was really thinking think about Killian's this. You really think Killian's getting outkicked two races in a row? <laughs> Oh my goodness. 
Hashtag good for the sport. Hashtag good for the sport. Um, Man. And then I've got... Sub I've, 17, <laughs> sub 18, last 5K. What are we thinking? I'm, I'm, I'm saying sub 19, sub 19, 5K. Uh, and then Tom Evans in third. So I'm obviously a huge Tom Evans fan. He rounds out the top three for me. And then Matthew Blanchard, who got third last year. Uh, I think he actually trains with Marianne Hogan quite a bit, mm-hmm. which is interesting. There are two French Canadians there. And then uh, I'm also on that Scotty Hawker train with Leah. So I'll, I'll do Scotty Hawker for fifth. Um, but in addition to being the deepest field ever on the men's side, I'm, I'm also calling the most exciting finish on the men's side ever. <laughs> Circa 2017, which that. was pretty thrilling. And then I think 2016 was pretty well. Like David Laney, Seth Swanson, and I think Luis Alberto Hernando had a pretty interesting 3-4-5 finish. I think that was 2015. 15-15 maybe, yeah. So yeah, anyways. That was incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, that kind of segues well into this, like this American contingent, we have a lot of new people, but there's also some like heavy hitter veterans that I would say still maybe have a great UTMB performance in their legs. I mean, so some of the new, new people to UTMB that, you know, like, uh, Jeff Mogavera, he's training partners with Adam Peterman over in Montana. Mm. He is very good at running and has, you know, not raced a ton, but has kind of shown that the bigger and beefier the race, the better he's going to do. And I think now having like almost a full year, he's bounced around in places a bit, but being over in Montana and, you know, just running with Adam and having, you know, that, group to train with i think he's going to be one to look out for um david hedges is on a bit of a heater this year as well um leo what, what was the his his yeah. biggest training week he had yeah. a massive um, one as well 143 miles and fifty-two thousand feet um and like he's been doing many weeks like that many since like yeah. june 1st so he's been doing this all summer so i think yeah same argument i and have he's is... got the range exactly yeah because he gave max king a run for his money at um breakneck oh i forget the name of the, the marathon yeah breakneck um, trail marathon uh, usatf championship earlier maybe. this year yeah so that's pretty cool and then you know tyler green he's doing the double yeah. um also has been putting in some pretty monstrous running uh, in between states and UTMB. Like, I think the biggest training block he's ever done. Mm-hmm. So very curious about that. And then I guess to continue on with some of the newcomers, uh, Rod Farber as well, um, mammoth person. Friend seems of the podcast. Yes, yeah, seems to have been getting in some big training and is ready to go go loop the mountain. Um, then we got like some, so like David Laney, you know, it's, I'm going to go be the biased coach here, (laughs) but like David's got, I mean, he's got the UTMB experience. He's one of the most successful American men at the race. You know, he's got a third and a fourth to his name and has done the double well because the year he got third, he was eighth at Western States and, um, kind of knows knows the course really well and you know having that experience is is huge um and he's put together a great year of racing you know has 
has not lost this year. So ipso facto. Yeah. So Swanson, another one from the like 2015, 2016 golden years. Um, also not American, but Luis Alberto Hernando is also in the race. So maybe we'll see all three of them just duking it out <laughs> again on the last descent. That would be cool. That'd be um, I don't really know it. I don't know what kind of fitness Seth is in at the moment, but he's, he's been racing. I mean, he's had some solid results. And then just bonus name, because this is fun. I see Carl Meltzer <laughs> on the star list. Nice. Sorry. Carl. No, no, that's wow. awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Leah, I, uh, how about you? Yeah, I'm really excited for this. Um, a lot of those names that Brett mentioned, I'm on board with and really excited to see play out. Um, I think another one in our category of veterans is Tim Tollefson. Um, what's he going to put oh, together this yeah, year? Yeah, he was so high up on my list. Yeah. I I was already in page two. <laughs> yeah, he's um, just had a slew of great results here. Had some years where he struggled, but I do think Tim is the type of guy who thrives in tough conditions, as we saw um, with his 2017 and I think 2018 races here. Um, or 20, yeah, 2016 and 2017. 17. Yeah. Um, so those were tough weather years. One was humid and hot. The other one was just yeah, rain, shortened course, tough conditions. And he thrived. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think, I think this is the year Tim's going to, you know, come back, have a great race. And I think he's in a good headspace. So I am excited to see. Mm-hmm. I think he'll be in the top 10. I really do. Um, I'm a huge Rod Favard fan as well. I think he didn't quite have the, the Western States race that he wanted to have. But I love how he races. Um, I think he's patient. I think he's strong. I think he's gritty. And I think that's going to really play to his advantage um, when the going gets tough late in UTMB. So I think um, I think we'll see a strong performance out of him. I think uh, my good friend and Finn's good friend, Jimmy Elam, he's got um, really solid, consistent training under his belt this season and hasn't raced really at all this year. Um, so I think that seems to be when he does the best is when he's got a sole focus on an A race. And I think he's been putting together mm-hmm. some uh, really strong weeks here. So excited to see how that plays out, totally. but yeah, it's going to be a fun one. I think the American t- contingents uh, very solid this year. Yeah. I guess one thing about, uh, one thing about Jimmy and Tim Tolson, well, it looks like they got in a pretty big, you know, little training camp together over in Mammoth, but both Chico state alums is, are they about to surpass Southern Oregon University for the best uh, collegiate 1-2 finish at UTMB? You got to give us more context there. <laughs> well, actually, I have I, have compl- I made that up on the spot just now. Um, I would actually have to see because I think the highest finishing Southern Oregon University runners at UTMB would be David Laney and Ryan Gelfi. Um, but I actually am not sure if the year – Ryan finished his best. I don't even know if David was there that year. So uh, this could be theirs for the taking. I'll quickly add my two cents in here before we close up. Uh, I got to echo another friend of the podcast, Jimmy Elam. Everything Leah said, uh, I think he's one of the strongest racers out there mentally too. Like He just has this mindset where he's willing to strategically suffer and get through tough parts of the race. He's not one to to blow everything up early. Like he'll be someone that maybe won't be in that. Like I run far top 10 alert system for the first 50, 60 miles of the race. But, um, I think he could be there in the last 50 K. So mm-hmm. super interesting there. Also, I think 
on top of what Leah said, I think that this the conditions for Tim Tollefson are perfect for redemption. I think he thrives in these environments where maybe the media isn't focusing a ton of attention on him. And um, I know he's in an incredibly good mental headspace right now, but I, I think there is a fun element of like, yeah, just like maybe expectations being a little bit lower and he just gets to go out and remind people like he's one of the best in the sport when he has his day. Mm-hmm. So echoing mm-hmm. those two. And then two that haven't been mentioned, one, Avery Collins. I think he mm-hmm. could have a really, really, really strong race. He had, I think he was victim to a not great shoe sponsorship for like two or three years. And um, now he's running in Speedlands. He claims to be incredibly happy. His feet are happy. He's had a great summer of training. And then the last one, uh, ageless wonder, Jason Schlarb, who I believe mm. in 2019 was the top American finisher when like everybody just blew up and he was the one guy who <laughs> didn't fold. I think he got like 18th or 19th yeah. overall. Mm-hmm. So I think in a year with bad weather, a lot of pressure at the front, um, you could have another year like 2019 where, uh, like Jason and someone like Tim Tollefson or like, or not Tim Tollefson, Tim Olson are your mm-hmm. top two American finishers in like mm-hmm. 19th and 28th place. So, uh, that's all I got. Yeah. I mean, I guess Leah, did you have any parting thoughts to this before I kind of half no, change no. topics? You change the topic. <laughs> <laughs> I was, well, so yeah. Um, kind of as we've been saying how this year like could potentially just be fireworks on both the men's and women's sides and it's going to be super exciting (laughs) i was reading i think it was a trail runner mag article that finn i sent to you before i read the whole thing and then realized that you were actually quoted in it so um, I should have actually read the whole thing before being like, dude, have you seen this? Is this going to be kind of the last of the golden years for the elite fields at UTMB with how the entry uh, kind of standards are changing next year? Because this year was all UTMB ranking. If your number is over this level, you get into the race. If you, it's over this level, you don't have to even pay for the entry fee. That is going away, Right. And now it will be kind of more golden ticket style where you go to the races that are by UTMB, you get in the top three, that secures your spot or you get in for the lottery. Is that going to shrink the elite fields? I think it's a fantastic question. I think it's like one of those wait and see. My personal opinion is it it probably could just because there are more hoops to jump through from here on out. And anytime there's more hurdles and you make things more difficult, uh, yeah, because right now it's just like, I mean, for someone like Leah, you can just every January just like say, yep, I'm doing it. See you in August. Mm-hmm. And you just click a button. And now it's like you got to race your way in. Have So it's crazy. Yeah, and yeah. I know we've... Why are uh, they talk- doing that? They wouldn't have a monopoly. I, I think they want people to be doing their other races. And that's the way of getting elites in their other races and spreading the wealth across their series of races. I think they want to see a full... UTMB ownership of ultra and trail running to some degree. But I will say, like we talked about this about Western States, and I think something we would see with that transition would be likely less DNFs because I think it's very easy as an elite athlete to DNF UTMB year after year after year if you know that you have an ITRA mm. score that's high enough to automatically mm. get you in next year. It's like a given. So I think that'll be an interesting uh, transition mm. that we'll see. Okay, that's a good point. 
Oh, gotcha. Um, one last thing before we go, Leah, will we ever see you uh, in the coming years focus exclusively on UTMB? Oh, <laughs> uh, I'd love to. Um, yeah, I was just I was chatting with some friends today about, man, is it CCC or UTMB? Which one of those do I want to do? I was signed up for UTMB this year. I was hoping uh, to do the double as well. But yeah, I needed to respect the recovery after Western States and unfortunately um, couldn't put in a block I was super proud of or worthy of attempting UTMB. So hopefully next year, um, if not next year, I think um, after I'll probably focus on Western States next year. And then ideally in a year following, just focus entirely on UTMB. Cause I think that's the attention it deserves. <laughs> Head on. Well, awesome. Hey, this has been another awesome preview episode. I think I speak for all of us when I say we are super excited to see everything go down on Friday and, uh, yeah, thanks again for doing this. We'll be back, I'm sure, for some future events to be determined in the fall or spring. But yeah, thanks as always, guys.